Welcome, everyone, to Northview's Extra Podcast, number 214. And, Greg, we call it Extra because it's even longer than Kyle's sermons. <laughs> oh, dear. Barely. Depends on which, Depends which, on which sermon, sermon and that's which, true. which podcast. It was long, this one will be longer than Jeff's sermon this weekend. That's right. You Because it's summer, mm-hmm. you cut it down. I did, yeah. And you were like 30-something. Yeah, I was. 37, 38 minutes. So instead of three points, you just gave two? And that's yeah, so the way Greg to... was a liar the week before when he said uh, <laughs> Jeff's in his 40s, just uh, like his sermon. Oh, did you say that really? Yeah. I wasn't here. Was that hurtful? Well, not really hurtful, Greg. I mean, it's just going to have some just some effect on your future. <laughs> just untrue. <laughs> well, is it true make... or is it not? I was 37 minutes. Not, How old are you now? You're 43? 43 years old. So you should get 43 minutes to preach. I should get 45 minutes to preach, yes. No, when you're 45, you get 45 minutes to preach. I should get 45 minutes, yes. I would get 52. <laughs> Crystal, what? No, we won't. No, no. <laughs> Crystal is here with us today. Hello. And Thalia's here. Hello. I already talked to Greg and Jeff, and Ezra's here. Hey. Welcome here, Ezra. Thank you. Yeah, good to good see you. Good to be here. Good yeah. to be seen. That's good to see you. Mm-hmm. Nice goatee going there. What can I say? And Kyle is here. Hello. And we are going to jump right into some questions, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. No, uh, no, banter. no banter. I like it. Go ahead, banter. No, I just didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, what ticked you off this week? What ticked me off this yeah. week? Well, usually there's some oh, airing of grievance that you, you would have. No, you don't want to know all, this, all the things that made me upset this week. <laughs> There's a lot of things. Really? Oh yeah. No, Thalia's yeah. here. Are you Pastor looking? <laughs> Are you looking at anybody in particular in this room? You? You're looking no. at me right now. No, but we the new the, the big news in my life is I got a bike, Darcy. Yes, yeah. you did. Well, I had a bike, but then I bought a bike, like a real bike. I bought a road bike for the first time in my life, and and, and it's ridiculous how happy I am about the road bike. It's actually right now while I'm talking to you, I'm thinking about riding on the road bike. Really? We're yes. gonna ride. Home. I brought my bike today. It's happened several times. Wow! Already since owning, since having the bike, I've thought to myself while talking to people, mostly Kyle. When I talk to Kyle, I think <laughs> I'd rather be riding a bike. Well, I, I invoked that reaction in lots of people. <laughs> so you got your bike on Saturday. I did. Yeah. Did you honestly? Did you think about riding while you're preaching your sermon this yes. weekend? No, once or twice. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. When is I thought when is this just like the rest of the people listening? When is this going to be over so I can go ride my bike? And uh, that's why it was thirty-seven minutes. <laughs> just kidding. That's right. We had allotted fifty, and for some reason it was really well, short. It was short this week. Yeah, yeah. I gotta go. So I had told you that that fellow in uh, in Winnipeg, that bike salesman, told me that if I would buy a road bike, the smile would not leave my face for a year. Mm. Do you think that's going to be true for you? I do. I actually do. Uh, yeah, I, I have. I have to get way better at it than I currently am. But I can see that it's the kind of thing that I would like to do for a long, long time. Well, once you get the training wheels off, you'll find it so much better. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Once you learn how to fix the flat tires. Well, I know oh, how to yeah. fix flats. Yeah, I had. I've had another bike for quite a long time and had plenty of flats, so I'm all good. I'm all good with that kind of thing. But it is a good way to get exercise. Greg, what do you do for exercise? Uh, nothing. I have a standing desk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So That's standing it. is your exercise. You yeah. don't actually have the standing desk right now, though. It's no, on, he does. It's he does. Order. Order. Oh, he no, he it. does. I got it. It was just in yesterday. And I, I lug around a 20-plus pound weight a lot of the time when I'm home. Just my child. All the stuff. Well, being it's a young father a is a lot of work. The diaper first. bag. And yeah, the, you get. You actually, your uh, your, your one biceps arm biceps. get huge. <laughs> Just they one do. arm, though. You're, yeah. Honestly, they carry carrying those uh, little baby carriers. Yeah. Are by the way, when I was when my kids were really little, I was always amazed, still am, at how much stuff they require. Uh-huh. <laughs> like one one oh, little yeah. person requires like a whole minivan full. Yeah, it's that's it's ridiculous <laughs> how much stuff they require. Yeah, and you gotta have like ten changes of clothes because mm-hmm. they're gonna puke on everything. Uh-huh. Yeah, snacks, oh, but right before church. toys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to getting out of that stage. Well, you're close. <laughs> I'm kidding. My dad was <laughs> a joke because I have older children. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Crystal, what do you do for exercise? <laughs> I run. You run? Yes. Oh, like how far do you run? Well, we Rebecca Meeker and I did our first half marathon this year. Wow. So, yeah. Good and for you. Before that, I've only done like five to. 10k kind of regularly but we trained and challenged ourselves so that was fun so what's next 
We'll do more. Are I you going to do full? No. Why not? <laughs> That's so much training. Like I can't imagine four hours. Do you know though? I had a friend who wrote who wrote who ran a marathon, the New York City Marathon. It was the first marathon he ever ran. Um, and apparently they say you should run up to like eighteen miles, and then just not. That's the number that he would stop at, 18 miles. He read all the stuff For about all it. training? 18, yeah, 18 miles, 18 miles, 18 miles. And then on the last one, you do the 26. Hmm. Hmm. And I, I have no idea if that's accurate or true, but he sure, he was reading a lot of Kenyans. Ezra, do you run? <laughs> <laughs> hmm? Do you run? Well, yeah, I can run after my kid in the park. Oh, like run <laughs> why aren't you, marathon. Why, why aren't you fast? Hmm? Why, why aren't I fast? Yeah. Jeff, I am pretty fast. No, you're pretty not. Fast. I won the I won <laughs> oh, the race. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you did. You did. Yeah, what was Didn't I Ezra thinking? trip, though, or something? I can't remember. <laughs> it was Jeff who trip. I was gone, yeah. So what do you do for exercise? Mm, I go to uh, Travel in its new gym. Oh, oh his oh. gym. That's awkward. <laughs> I paused there for a minute. <laughs> Trevor Linden. In his I office. Trevor Linden, his gym. Yeah. Is it good? Yeah, it's a good gym. I mean, it's cheap. How often do you go? And, um, I used to go every day. And then now? now I go maybe twice or maybe three times a week, depending on how I feel. So how many times has Trevor Lund been at the gym when <laughs> you've been there? I've never seen him. What a slacker. Yeah, there's probably a picture him. of him though. Hey, what is he so doing? Doing? There's there's a a I'm just gonna say I rode my bike there's to the church Hunt last week uh, with Kyle, uh, and. That that's fun. Two, two two days in a row, didn't we come two days in a yeah. row? Yeah, yeah. And that fixed, was a good fixed time. Fixed a flat tire I had. I did. So I can attest to that ability within Jeff. Uh-huh. What kind so of bike do you have? Actually, I don't know enough about biking to know what kind of bike <laughs> it is. It's a Da Vinci. They're... It's a Da Vinci uh, former police bike, I think. So I'm good at chasing robbers. Yeah. No, yeah. no. Just you know, when Kyle comes, when Kyle comes, he's got these uh, panniers, right? And uh, he fills them full with nearly everything he owns. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so when you're riding, they're 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 bumping into the spokes of his back <laughs> wheel. And I'm like, dude, why are you taking so much stuff? Sir, you just need to change your clothes, right? Well, yeah, and like my books and my <laughs> just television <a> <laughs> and you know some snacks. And then he he does. He pulls out like an entire pound of beef jerky out of his back. So I is that need the energy way you, during the day? Was that the way you exercise? You just put more weight onto your bike? Yeah, make it a little more difficult for myself. Good. Thalia, what do you do? Ah, walk. Last week, my daughter Ava and I took our first ever Pilates class together. Oh, yeah, she loved it because so she's a former ballet dancer. Is Pilates kind of like Christian yoga? It is. Yeah. See, Ezra, without yeah. the spiritual <laughs> side. Yeah. Yeah. But isn't everything? Have you done Zumba? Do? Yep, done Zumba. Not really for me. Is Zumba the dancing? Th- it's sort of a yeah, dancing. Yeah, kind of the Latin kind right. of dancing stuff. Oh, that's I, what I do. Yeah. I would pay yeah. good money to see Greg do that. Yeah. <laughs> right now. And the studio's kind of small. You know what? I yeah. imagine that there are a lot of our listeners who would pay good money to see Greg. We should see how much money we could collect to have Greg videoed doing Zumba. Sure. Better yet. Let's give the money to Cyrus. How Center. about, there how you about we see Greg doing Zumba at fall? So listen, if that's an idea that you you are in favor of, you should send in (laughs) to extra at northview.org. And you could wear the sumo suit while you do it. Sure. How much how much money would we raise for Sire Center to do this? What do we have to meet in order for me to do that? Eighteen dollars. Three dollars. That's not very good. Oh come on. Oh come on. In reality, Greg, you're not gonna be very good either. So (laughs) (laughs) I think if we get eighteen dollars, we're doing Zumba. Doing really well. What's with hot yoga? You know what they call oh, it in Thailand? Oh, yeah. They call it yoga. <laughs> <laughs> Ezra does hot yoga all the time. Yeah. That's what he does. He and Trevor Linden. He's so do. sweaty. <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay, so that is banter. our banter section. And if you didn't want to listen to that, oh, it's too late now. You've listened to it. Um, we have a question come in that says, if the Bible holds a different worldview than ours at present, is our worldview wrong? And Jeff, you talked about worldview this weekend. Yeah. So if the Bible holds a different one than ours that we have at this present time, is ours wrong? It depends on if the Bible is affirming in those places a certain worldview. Affirming in the places where it speaks of it a certain worldview. It might be assuming a worldview that it's not necessarily affirming. I hope that makes sense. So the Bible assumes certain things that it wouldn't affirm in several places. It assumes a world where slavery is reality. It's not affirming slavery. 
That's a common misconception. Just because the Bible speaks about it and tells people how to live underneath slavery doesn't mean the Bible is tacitly approving of slavery. So uh, I would say that you need to do your good um, Bible interpretation in those places and understand if the Bible is actually espousing a viewpoint that is contrary to our current worldview. I do think that in the stuff I was talking about this weekend, I do think the Bible is challenging uh, our view of individualism. That we actually are more connected to pe- to each other than we think. We are not atomized. We think we are, but that's just because uh, our our world teaches us that. That's just a Western world. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. And again, you see that when you get Ezra, in, he, he would would have grown up and recognized that the ties to his family are far far more important, and mm-hmm. valuing the family and community is a far more important thing than valuing the individual. Although I imagine that's changing nowadays in Africa, the more Westernized <clears throat> it becomes. Yep. But yeah. So the Bible is speaking that way. That's the, you don't, not, you're not going to understand the Bible's take on the church if you don't understand its nature, of, uh, you know, its viewpoint on uh, on the corporate over the individual. One, one thing I should emphasize too, though, is that we uh, we actually do love the corporate nature of things. And by that I mean like uh, the representative head nature of things. So, so a G, for example, when the when something happens to a leader, it happens to those with them. We, we understand that actually in sports teams all the time, right? I mean, I, I like soccer and the penalty kicks are exactly what that is, right? Mm-hmm. If the guy scores the penalty kick, the team wins. It's an individual representing the entire group. Um, we as Christians really love that because in Jesus we are saved, right? The idea of a vicarious atonement is dependent upon this idea of a representative head. Um, so we shouldn't recoil so much at the Bible's take on on corporate stuff as we often do. <clears throat> anyway, you, the rest of you guys should jump into that and and talk about it. It's a good uh, good question. Kyle, any thoughts? Yeah, what, what's true is what corresponds with reality. And mm-hmm. if God made the universe, then He gets to say what the universe is about. And as he describes what the universe is that he made, then that's truth. So we should fall in line with that. I used to keep snakes as a little kid as pets, which my mom was very kind to have. Uh, We have these snakes in these uh, old aquariums that wouldn't hold any water anymore, but they would hold snakes. So I was kind of the king and creator of these aquariums. I'd put dirt and rocks and make this whole, like, landscape for these snakes to live in. I created it. I made it. That's the way the snake lived. Um, God obviously is a much bigger creator than just in, a, in, a, in an aquarium because he made the whole universe uh, and the way he determines reality, the way he spoke reality into existence, the way he sustains reality that's the way reality is. But there are places in the Bible you would say though that, that they're not espousing a particular worldview, right? Like, like the pre-modern scientific stuff isn't, the Bible's not necessarily espousing do you know what I'm talking about? So, so, for example, the idea that there... I mean, when you read Genesis 1, the ancient cosmology, the understanding of the way the world is, is that there's kind of water above the heavens and there are little holes that sometimes show up and that's how we get our rain and that sort of thing. The, the, the Bible's not necessarily affirming that viewpoint. It's utilizing it for its original audience. But it's not necessarily affirming it. Do you understand my distinction? Or are you uncomfortable with it? No, but I'd yeah, I'd have to look at the the historical background of the the water canopy and how that plays into Genesis one. Right, because I I understand the impulse of the of the question. It is well, just because the Bible's worldview is different than our worldview doesn't mean our worldview is necessarily wrong. I'm not saying that's the writer's saying, but that's the way I feel. Sometimes just mean our worldview is completely wrong. I'm very thankful for science. It's from the scientific discoveries we have. So one of the real criticisms of the Bible is, well, the Bible's wrong because mm-hmm. it holds this, you know, pre uh, pre enlightenment kind of worldview regarding science. You know, it's pre scientific, as they as they say. Whereas I want to make a distinction there and say, well, actually, I don't think the Bible is actually espousing that. It's not affirming mm-hmm. that idea. What it is affirming, though, is that you are tied to your children, or you are tied to the corporate. 
Do you see what I'm saying? I think that the, the Bible's take on individualism or mm. contra-individualism is something that's affirming. And that God is the creator. It's not affirming a scientific framework for that necessarily, but that God is the one that created it all. Right. So it's different, yeah. Mm. But I, I don't want it to, I don't want my decisions there to sound arbitrary. I'm not trying to be arbitrary with them. I think that there's a gen, genuine distinction in the text themselves that the Bible is actually just sometimes utilizing the worldview and just speaking into it and saying, okay, for understanding's sake. But other times it's it's actually espousing a particular view of the world. God is Trinity, and therefore He created us in community, male and female. He created them, and therefore we are communitarian people. We are tied to one another and individualism in the West tries to run that hmm. under the bus and I don't think that's the truth and that's why we struggle with so much of the Bible is because you know we struggle that Aiken's family is judged for his sin we, we, we struggle that God wipes off the face of the map all the other cities around Sodom and Gomorrah and the livestock okay <laughs> uh Kind of on that as well, uh, in your sermon this weekend, um, this listener was provoked by it and says, I kept thinking about the exodus and the death of Egypt's firstborn and the consecration of Israel's firstborn and Abraham being asked to sacrifice his firstborn. All of Israel assumes that the firstborn belonged to God. First of all, is that true? Silence. <laughs> Does Israel assume that the firstborn child belongs to God? There is a verse that talks about that. Yeah. There is a verse that talks about that, yes. Uh, the, this uh, person listed a few, Exodus 13, 11 to 15, Exodus 34, 19, and Numbers 8, 17. So Ezra, why don't you look up Exodus 13, you know, 11 to 15? line, though, with, mo w I, I, yes, sure. I'm willing to say yes, mostly because I believe the first fruits belong to God. That's that seems to be a biblical principle. That yes, the first things, whatever they are. Well, then they go on and say we also have all sorts of second-born sons taking the place of the firstborn. Ishmael yeah. and Isaac, That's, Jacob and Esau. It's not the norm, but yeah, God sometimes will will do that. Yep. So the question is, what does God taking David's firstborn son mean in the context of all this firstborn, secondborn stuff? Yeah, I'm not sure. It's although it's a very interesting line of thought and uh, something that you could trace out, I'm, I'm assuming, but I'm not sure. Yeah. I might have been missing something, but is it explicit that the child he had with Bathsheba was his firstborn no. son? He had other sons. No. Not is his firstborn with Bathsheba, but he right. had other sons already right. and daughters. Right. right. So I'm if we're gonna attach it to Bathsheba, you could have that line of thought, but just to David in general, yeah. it's not explicit. But it's so it's more not specific some... because of his sin, then Yeah. You would expect the author, if they were gonna make a point about it being mm -hmm. the firstborn, to use that language of firstborn. That's what I would expect. And since it's not explicit there, that's you would be reading quite a quite a bit into the intent of the author there. So, is that my? Yeah. We punted? Do we punt there? Well, All right. I, I love punting. <laughs> Sometimes you can't get a first down. You just got punt. <laughs> it's foot failure. It's football. It's a reference. <laughs> I know that. My dad took me to Lions games and tried to coach me and all that kind of stuff, but I was watching the cheerleaders. <laughs> so Funny was, thing. So is Greg. Yeah. <laughs> just, kidding. just kidding, Greg. The BC Lions have cheerleaders? They do. They do, oh. they do still. People, yeah, they do. people cheer? Yeah. The BC. I, I was at the game this week. You were? Oh, you was, stayed till the end? It was the best, it was the best <laughs> game I've been well, to. Well, you have to, because like, half Every, the people Everything happened in the last two minutes, minutes right? Half the people left with two minutes to go. Lions were down by 11, which is an awkward amount to be down by in football. So everyone's leaving, and they won in overtime. It was amazing. As yes, you do. So and the guy who caught the ball tossed it into the crowds, and it was caught by the wife of the guy who passed it to him. Oh, oh really? Yep. Wow. On the news there last you go. Good trivia. I wow. know. Football See, oh, I was totally making fun of it. I was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, by the way, if you do have questions, please send them to extra at northview.org. Um, this listener writes, I can't find on Northview website a place or address to send emails to the Extra Podcast. Oh, there it is. <laughs> How do they do that? Actually, they called it the Extra Podcast. Oh, yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. 
So here's my question. Dear Extra Podcast, you talked about prayer in your last podcast, so I thought now would be a good time to ask a question that I've often entertained in my mind. When there is prayer time during the service, I have never seen anybody in leadership go up for prayer for themselves. So I'm assuming this means when we have not... uh, Prayer at the front. Yeah, when there's prayer at the front, when there's elders up there, (laughs) prayer teams. I don't know if I'm strange, but it makes me picture two-tier Christianity. Those who have arrived and do not need help from others anymore. And then those poor souls who haven't got it together yet. I personally would find it more encouraging to see a leader asking for prayer also. It would just encourage me, and I believe others also, to go for prayer more easily. And the more prayer there is, the better. So leadership, I wonder if this person is meaning like pastors, elders, that kind of thing, or also... Like community group leaders and that kind of thing. Probably pastors. And I, I'm elders. thinking pastors and elders. The problem is practically that all of us who are in leadership are supposed to be at the front already. <laughs> so yeah, because we're we're kind of told if you're sitting in the service and there's that prayer going on, unless there's yeah, 30 th- people up front, you're up there. I think so. one of the things that uh, maybe our congregants don't get to see, you know, when the elders meet every month, mm-hmm. uh, they have some time when they set aside to pray for congregants. And during those times, sometimes you get a lot of people coming and sometimes you get few people coming. And during those times, what people don't get to see is the elders or the pastors, if people have various needs, all sorts of needs, they would come there and have the elders surround them and pray for them and anoint them with oil and and those kinds of things. So there is uh, places and times when leaders within our church receive prayer and also get to pray for each other. And I think during the weekend service, mm. yeah. because we are there to serve yeah. those whom those who have come to church. So as a leader, I'm thinking, how can I continue to do ministry yes. for the people whom the Lord has drawn here? And I will get ministered to when the elders meet or the pastors usually meet and pray every week on Tuesday morning for about an hour, half an hour, depending on the week. And uh, we sometimes share some of the challenges and struggles we are going through and we get to pray for one another and with each other. So I think, um, yes, I, I hear what the, the listener is saying, but let's not assume that the leadership doesn't have needs that... Yeah, but they're, they're pressing forward. the modeling. <clears throat> the modeling that's thing. Be, that's a value that I think is... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good point that oftentimes... This is one of the hard things I, have, I find about being a pastor, though, is the idea that you live in a fishbowl, not just at church, but everywhere. Everybody's always watching what you're doing and how you worship or how you, whether you go forward to prayer and how you pray and whether or not you walk and whether or not your pants go down to the right length on your shoes or... How you cheer at your kid's baseball he's getting, game. <laughs> he's getting fatter, you know, that kind of, you know, like you're just, every part of your life is, is, is exposed to it and sometimes you're... And this sort of thing reminds me of that, mm. that, that I'm always, it's always the case. And yes, I, I fully recognize that that's part of the gig. And, you know, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Mm. But I do need to encourage the people listening that you have to be a bit gracious. I'm a, I'm a dad, too, and I want my son to do well at sports, my sons to do well. I want my daughter to succeed in the things she does, too. And I get as passionate about those things as anybody else does, mm-hmm. sometimes more so. Or, likewise... Uh, there are uh, sometimes other, th- there are other factors in my case mm. or the case of others that you don't know anything about, mm. like the fact that we don't have enough people to pray with others, and yeah. so when they go up in front, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Or for me, for example, I, I will often uh, worship on Saturday nights with a with a congregation. Sometimes I don't, and a lot of it depends really on my on my gut regarding whether or not I have. The, the sermon is really a part of my soul. And so sometimes I'll sit in the back and pray over it for the 30 minutes prior to to the, the the preaching of it. You might think, well, you should be out here worshiping with us at this time. Well, I'm actually trying to serve you by praying my guts out over the thing. Hmm. Yeah. Um, my point is yeah. that grace is something I would ask for all pastors everywhere. It's very easy for congregants to start assuming things that aren't true about pastors based upon, uh, you know, usually arguments from silence, which is what this essentially ends up being. I'm not, I'm not accusing the writer. I, I get it. It's a, it's a good point. But, you know, you, you end up saying, well, I don't see them doing this, or I don't hear them talking about that, or I, we got, I got to get emails from time to time. You didn't talk about this in your sermon. Well, Mike, if you want to give me three hours to talk about <laughs> stuff, I, I'm yeah. good. 
and I can do that. But you have to make choices sometimes about right. what you're going to do or not do. Right. And so this is a not just for pastors, but for I'll expand it to our friends too. There's always another factor in someone else's case of case about which you know nothing. And so mm-hmm. instead of connecting dots that aren't necessarily there, just assume assume the best mm-hmm. before you, you 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 go to the worst. But uh, in case of this listener, they I mean they don't know. <clears throat> they don't know all these other. Factors, right? But in those places and... where you don't know, you you have a choice to make. And I'm, I'm, if you don't mind me, I'm just uh, please don't hear me as being. Oh, I'm having to go at the person who's writing the email. I'm actually not. I really you actually appreci- don't even know who wrote. No, it. and I appreciate them and bringing this up. But I'm broadening this out to a Christian virtue. I think mm-hmm. of showing grace to one another. Right. In those moments in our lives where we don't know what somebody else, what what is going on in the life of somebody else, they might do an action that we don't necessarily understand. So, for example. Somebody gets up and leaves church a little bit early or something. I've talked about this on the bonus <coughs> podcast yeah. recently. Like, they might leave a little bit early. You can sit there and you can look at somebody leaving church and think, you know, they are sinning, right? But I, what what right do they have to get up and blah, blah, and just get out? And you, and you start thinking, well, you know, I don't know if they're actually true Christians like I am. You could, <laughs> you could yeah. carry down a whole line of thought that way. Or you could assume that... Uh, maybe they have a family event they need to be at. Maybe their parents are in the hospital and they need to go and see them at a certain time and the, and the hours for visitation close at certain times and they really wanted to get to church today. And so they stayed as long as they could. Or maybe their kids are in a baseball game or kids are in a hockey game and they need to get them there on time, but they wanted to value the time of being in church as the only time they could make it work to get their kids there. There's like literally a thousand different reasons why it is that they might be getting up. Including going to the bathroom, mm-hmm. including you spoke way too long. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> including, and, and some of those reasons might be bad, and some might be good. The, the problem is you don't know, mm-hmm. and it's not really your business. That's that's their business, and between them and God, and there is no chapter and verse that suggests that thou shalt not leave the sermon early, or thou shalt not leave before the last song's over. Believe me, I want you to stay for the last song in every church service. I do. The benediction is when the service it, ends. Right, but. I just think that we need to be a lot more gracious with each other. And I'm just using that as one example. And let's be the kind of people who are really gracious with one another over things that we don't know the reasons about. Let's assume the best in our coaches. Let's assume the best in our friends. Let's assume the best in the teachers. Let's assume the best in the administrators. Not everybody's trying to make your kid, you know, not everybody hates your kid and and thinks that they're going to be, you know, they want to teach them a lesson or, you know. The, just about leaving service at different times, because sometimes people come and go. It's in just the illustrations. Service. Yeah, no, but it's I a just free flowing conversation I, at this I, point now. I I just want to add to be respectful of people around you, um, because when you know, if you have a legitimate reason to leave, that's that's fine. But if it's just oh, I just need to stretch my legs or I whatever, um, you disturb people when you do that. So you just got to be careful that you try to slip in and out, I think, without disturbing the people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, because it does take your mind off the worship that's going on or, you know, the, the sermon that you guys are preaching. You just kind of get thrown off for a second, right? Right. And I'm easily distracted. So, so there's grace to be shown both ways. Yes. Then. There, yes. There's the edifying grace that you say, well, you say, well, I'm going to think about, uh, I have to leave early. I'm going to step toward the back or on the aisle or something like that. Or... And then there's the then there's the grace being shown to to others, right? Yeah. yeah. Some no. people's kids freak out and they have to go out, mm-hmm. and then they want to come back. Yeah. Right. And they shouldn't Great. be like barred from the. My, I'm just going to tell you as a preacher, I just keep going. Right. So that you doesn't distract you. Oh, sure. I I notice, but at the same time, I don't, what what am I going to do? Wait. Sit down. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in churches where the pastor has done yeah, that. I know a pastor that's done that. Right? Yep. Well, dude, Ezra's here right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You were going to say something over there. No. no? I was going to say, I think what we can do is, kind of in line with what you're saying, Jeff, is to kind of think in a ways that we can ask questions to kind of find out the information we are wanting to find out, but maybe in a way that isn't accusatory. Like, mm-hmm. say, so how do you as pastors receive prayer? If you're not up yeah. at the front, how do you receive prayer? And so if you if there's an answer you want to find out... Just think of how you can say it in a way that right. is getting to what the information that you want without making an assumption that you're not doing something right. Or yeah, 
Okay, we want to go on to another question about uh, Eastern Orthodoxy. A friend of mine has started attending an Eastern <clears throat> Orthodox church and is being very much influenced by it all. Uh, I guess the first question is, what what is an Eastern Orthodox church? Who wants to have a go at that? Kyle's looking it up in his iPad. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the Eastern Orthodox church is part of the... This, schism that happened in the church a long time ago between the west and the east the the east became the eastern orthodox and the west became the catholic church and so that's kind of a main um, breaking off point years years and years and years later you have the catholic and protestant split um so picture among that the western among the western church so kind of picture that kind of a thing but hundreds of years earlier between more eastern minded and more western minded people and by that i mean the way that like if you talk to an Eastern born and raised person, someone like Imran, he, he, Imran Daniel, he's on staff here. Like he thinks about things differently. He's from Pakistan. And so the, the way that he processes things, the way that he understands things is different. And so just imagine the East and West trying to make sense of things like doctrine and theology and how do we understand things approaching it from two very different perspectives. It got to the point where they're like, we, we can't agree on enough to actually keep doing church together. So there they are, split. There are some si significant, in the modern world, there are some significant theological differences, though. Yeah. It's not, not everybody's not going to affirm the same things. One of the challenges that the Eastern Orthodox Church has with several in the West in the modern day has to do with issues regarding atonement. Mm -hmm. So the Western mm -hmm. Church has always, em has always embraced uh, the idea of substitutionary penal substitutionary atonement as being kind of the controlling metaphor for the atonement which means that, that when i use those words by the way i'm using them and to mean the gospel that you that you know jesus died in your place on your behalf he took the wrath of god for you so that you might go free that's penal substitutionary atonement in the eastern orthodox tradition that's not really a major it's not it's not that all eastern orthodox people would deny it it's just not a major portion. It's not a controlling image for them. Uh, likewise, we, we see that in the Western church is very what we call cruciform. It's cross-based. Uh, the, the, the great moment in the history of the world is on the cross mm -hmm. for the West. In the Eastern church, it's the incarnation. It's that Jesus came. And so much of the theolo theology is re revolves around Christmas as opposed to Easter. Um, and so... So are both in, both important, yes, but there are some significant differences in in that, right? And theologically, there's some there are some significant differences regarding what justification looks like, for example. Um, I don't personally know a ton about Eastern Orthodoxy; I haven't spent a lot of time. But that's because I, it's an, it's not really a, a major player in the Western world. I think it is a l increasingly so. There are a lot of young evangelicals say, yeah. that are kind of going toward the Eastern Orthodox Church. The people who tend to go there, though, are ones who become disenchanted with evangelicalism yeah. and the Western Church and want to have a more open uh, take on issues like uh, eternal judgment, mm -hmm. on the issue of atonement. They don't like penal substitution. They don't like the idea of God being uh, mm -hmm. wrathful in a retributive way. And so they... They want to go to the Eastern Orthodox Church uh, because they find it more more open several times and more, more inviting, um, that sort of thing. They're also a lot really into icons, mm -hmm. the Eastern Orthodox Church, and so th there's a certain kind of symbolism in mm -hmm. that. There's more structure yeah, in, liturgy. in the worship yeah. services of an Eastern Orthodox Church, and so you have a, for the average evangelical who would be leaving their the church that their parents brought them to when they were kids who were going to an Eastern Orthodox church, they would be experiencing an opening in doctrinal convictions in, in terms of the, the bound, boundaries aren't quite as tight about what's, what's right or wrong, and yet they'd also be experiencing a tightening of what the weekend service would look right. like mm -hmm. in terms of what does and doesn't happen, <clears throat> how often something will take place. So it, it is a, it's a fairly significant so switch. We, so theological broadness and liturgical narrowness. Mm -hmm. Right. No. Yeah. Good job, Greg. 
Yeah. That was Jeff who said that. No, well, he summarized what you said. Yeah, I, no, did, no, I just yeah, summarized yeah. it. Yeah. But, but a lot of people I've talked to whose kids have gone that way have yeah. said their kids were dissatisfied with kind of evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. They felt it was too fluffy, too light. Yeah. They loved the Orthodox because it felt it had depth and meaning and symbolism mm-hmm. and kind of like their baptism is like a big three-step thing. And like they have a lot of symbolism mm-hmm. or a lot of things that people thought was valuable. So it, it was almost a reaction against Yes, the shallow, seeker-sensitive, yeah, the, the, and it's happened too, though, in Anglican, the growth in some Anglican uh, congregations and the growth in the Roman Catholic. I know several people who've gone to the Roman Catholic Church because of the history Mm -hmm. and tradition uh, and that sort of thing. But I also don't want to overplay that, just so you know, that uh, there are just as many Eastern Orthodox going Mm -hmm. evangelical and just as many Roman Catholic and maybe probably more. Mm Um, going evangelical than there are the the other way. Yeah. It's just it, it's become somewhat popular among people around our place. I will yeah. say that my experience has been the people who go Eastern Orthodox though start with an they they before they go Eastern Orthodox, they they have some theological problems with the evangelical church or with Protestantism. They don't like they don't like some of the stuff I just talked about. They don't right. like the idea that there's a hell. They don't like the idea that there's a there's a violent atonement. So I still want to embrace God somehow, mm-hmm. but I just don't want to embrace well, right, even, evangelical even Christianity. Jesus. Yeah, right. Like they want to try to find a way to make sense of who Jesus is, and like Jeff said, especially focusing in on the incarnation. Mm. I don't think that can be overplayed in this conversation when you're trying to understand Eastern Orthodoxy. Just how big. The incarnation is they they would actually see that as a moment of atonement of between God and man where that that's the kind of the language that's used this like that's the moment when you can tell God's plan is going to work because that actually ha- like it actually worked the incarnation mm-hmm. worked and so that's massive for them just so you know there's lots and lots of Eastern Orthodox genuine believers yeah. in the world just like there are lots and lots of Protestant genuine believers in the world and lots and lots of Roman Catholic genuine believers in the world but there are also people within each one of those groups that are not genuine believers right so the deciding mark of that would be scripture you you, you tell me I mean I <laughs> I tend to think again the nature of saving faith is that it, there's a there is a certain professed practiced and persevering those are the three categories that I apply to it like what is someone who's genuinely saved well I do think that they have to have a profession of faith that has said something distinct about Jesus I do well, and their sin and their sin and understanding the nature of I, whether or not you uh, uh, whether or not you think that the penal substitutionary atonement is the controlling metaphor or not is immaterial to me uh, whatever but it, don't deny it if you're denying penal substitution now we got a problem because you've done something great, you've done great harm to uh, eternal judgment now, and I think that that is one of the big rocks that's in the Bible. So yes, there has to be some sort of theological agreement. Yeah, and I do think that you know this is one of the questions I ask lots of people: is, is does your view of Scripture is that one of the big rocks? So we could have this long conversation about what the big rocks are. It'd be well worth having. Uh, it'd be fun to have with an Eastern Orthodox person because mm-hmm. I think that we'd have we'd probably come to some good good agreement. On, on several of them. Mm-hmm. Good. Want to move on to another question on forgiveness and uh, Thalia, maybe let you uh, get a first crack at, uh, at this one. Um, are we called to forgive an unrepentant sinner? I have trouble reconciling Matthew six fourteen to 15, where it would appear that we're called to forgive all and Luke 17, three to four, where it says to rebuke the sinner, but forgive the repentant sinner. So rebuke the sinner, but forgive the repentant sinner. What does forgiveness look like? And are we called to act as if the sin against us was never committed? So, yes, we're called to forgive. But it almost seems like the question is asking, how do you then, if you forgive them, how do you live in relationship with that person? Like if you forgive, does that mean you have to forget what they did to you? Do you have to still be buddy buddy? Mm. Do you still have to go on holidays? Do you still have to have them babysit your kids? So that, I, what do you guys think about what the intention behind that is? I think there's two levels of forgiveness in the sense where there's the baseline, you release the person from any kind of bitterness and, and in some ways right anger you have toward them. You've released them and forgiven them. 
but yet that doesn't mean you have the full extent of what forgiveness hopefully leads to, which would be relational reconciliation. Mm -hmm. So you, you can forgive because we've been forgiven by God and he gives us the grace to forgive others. But that doesn't mean that the relationship is all of a sudden nice and neat and tidy yeah, again yeah. and restored. That might take some time. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's and some consequences to the, yeah. to the action. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes David's child dies. Yeah. That kind of thing. I, I, I actually want to add a little piece of a nuance to this, too. I, I think we can only forgive people for, for, for what they've done to, to us. Yeah. That makes sense? Um, I can't forgive someone of the and so for example somebody does great harm to 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 a child of mine or something like that. I can forgive them of the of the 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 emotional scarring that took place to me. It's my yeah. child's responsibility to forgive them for what they did. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I can't forgive them for others. Uh, I can't forgive them on behalf of the state. I can only forgive them on behalf of me and the harm that was done to me, which was an emotional harm. You guys can tell me I'm wrong there, but I, I sometimes I think that by not clarifying that, we, we end up thinking, oh, I need to forgive this person for all of these things, when all of those things were not the things done to you. Yeah. The, no? So you're talking about like when people would say, I forgive whatever the, whether it's Second World War or Aboriginal issues, that kind of sort of global or yes. forgiveness? Yes, but I'm also I'm also saying in interpersonal relationships. I'm 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 thinking out loud in some ways. I've thought about this several times and keep, keep thinking about. It. I, I I'm trying to figure out in the in the Bible where you get in in Romans 12, for example, you have the language "leave it to the wrath of God." Like wh who is that pointed at? Right. The person that wants vengeance. Right. So don't take vengeance. Yeah. Leave it to the wrath of God. Is that forgiveness? Like, what is that? Because because that's that's being point. Those words are being mm -hmm. pointed to someone who's been wronged, yeah. who now wants to seek vengeance in response. Because the, I'm assuming the person that they're wanting to seek vengeance on is not is not repentant. So, what is that? It's almost like just leave it. Like leave it in God's hands. Don't right. worry about where it's going to lead. or. But that's an extra piece because the forgiveness is the first part. The action that comes out of that is a second part. So I can forgive, but I don't have to take vengeance. I can leave it in God's hands or I can take vengeance. That's an action piece to the forgiveness. So this is kind of what I'm saying. I can forgive the piece that's been done to me. Yeah. But the sin has been done against God, too. So mm -hmm. I need to leave it in his hands. Do you, yeah. do you see what I'm saying? It's yeah. not mine to yeah. take up God's mantle yeah. and to punish that person on God's behalf. Yeah. I, I need to leave the con those pieces with, with him. Yeah. But I can forgive the emotional distress. And that's how I'm trying to put it together, yeah. Yeah. at least yeah. currently. I'm, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm wrong. But that's what I, that's what I mean when yeah. I say that I, there, you've done this wrong to me, and I can forgive the part that you've done to me. Yeah. But the other parts I can't because you have to do that business with God and yeah. you have to do that business with the state. Yeah. You have to do that business with my my child or you have to do that business with these others. Yeah. I, I can't I can't speak for them. Yeah. I can only speak for me. The other part that people bring to us a lot is they'll say, I can't forgive. And I'll say, as a Christian, we are commanded to forgive. But you're right. We can't on our own strength. That's why we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So I ask God to help me forgive, and it might last an hour. And then I, it comes back again, that anger inside. And then I say, Lord, help me to forgive, and it might last three hours. But this is an ongoing, continual process that comes up over and over again. It isn't a one-time deal. It sometimes is a lifetime process, depending on what happened that was maybe so traumatic or so painful. Phil, you know, you've done a, a lot of counseling with people, and, mm -hmm. and in any relationships like that, forgiveness is a big thing what happens for a person that isn't willing to forgive like what kind of yeah. how does that play on them oh it'd be, it's like a cancer it just rots everything there's bitterness and coldness and hardness of heart and they can't pray well and they can't be at church well and they can't be in relationship well if this continues for a long time so it, damage it was eats. done in a relationship yeah. that wasn't their fault 
all of a sudden, and they don't forgive. It just gets, oh, just, just builds and builds yeah. and gets worse and worse. Yeah. It raises some questions about their profession of faith too, right? Forgive as Christ forgave you. If you don't yeah. forgive your brother, neither yeah. will Christ. Is it wrong though to you. sometimes need time maybe like just to be Absolutely. able to process it and, Absolutely. You know, because it's easy, like you said this weekend, you know, yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. I accept your forgiveness. Like that you don't actually mean it, but you need time. And you also have to remember that we have smart brains that God gave us. We will never forget the things that have been done to us unless God gives you a miracle and there gives you, you know, it's okay. Yeah. Where where does that come from though? Where's the idea that you should A lot of people think they need to forgive and forget. And so in a marriage, for example, they'll say, well, uh, my the wife committed adultery and the husband's supposed to forgive her, but they keep bringing this up between them. And there's supposed to be this forgive and forget. And I'm like, no, you're smart. You'll never forget. So you have to forgive and work but through. I, I, what I, I think what I'm asking is, though, where do, where does that idea of forget come from? I don't know. I'm trying to think. Is it because God, because the he, Lord, east from the west? Yeah. Remember your sins no more, no more as far as the east is from the well, west. Well, that's a statement about what God does. But God doesn't forget God, like he doesn't literally erase his memory. He knows he just doesn't hold it against us. Right. He removes yeah. it. Yeah. But I, I, I think that's one of my questions, though, is I don't I don't know if there's a command to forget. Somebody who's out there listening might have that and feel free to write in and say, oh, no, you're wrong. There is a command here or this it seems to intone that. I'd love to I'd love to see it because I mean, this is a dialogue in many ways. I, so I'm. But I don't think you can forget. But I think that's one of those kind of Christian, you know, pull yourself up on your own bootstraps. Yeah, yeah. That's what Jesus said. You know, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if forgive and forget is the idea. I think the idea no. is, is forgive. It's and forgive and put good, healthy boundaries in place in terms of you may not have a great relationship with that person, but you need to be kind and polite mm-hmm. and civil if they're in your Which brings zone. this back to the, yeah. the original question, I think, which is like, what, how do you live yeah. with that person? And I, I think uh, gr- graciously yeah. you live with them. And civilly. Civilly. Politely. Yeah. And um, cautiously. 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 Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yeah, you think of how many marriages that have broken up and they have to forgive each other for the wrongs done and they have to find a way to cooperate as parents with their kids. So they have to be kind of like business partners and just kind of work it through. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to forget the wrongs that have been done. This comes up a lot, I think, during communion. And I think yeah. you've done a good job of explaining it sometimes when you've been on communion because people, like, can I take communion if somebody, if there's still unresolved business and then knowing kind of where that line is, that yeah. where you feel like right. you've done everything that you can do to resolve it, but this person's still unrepentant, still not willing to resolve it. As long as right? you've done what you can do. That's what yeah. I know, but some people get confused about that. Like, yeah. we're only still... responsible for our part right. of it, yeah. which is what you're getting at before. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we need to close our time here now, but we have a new sermon series coming mm. up. Yes. And w- when does Dave end? Is there one more week? This weekend. And then we start a new one called what? Bumper stickers. <laughs> And the reason it's called bumper stickers is because uh, even in our conversation right now, we've been having conversations, and many of our, our the emails that come in will cite a Bible verse. Right. And the assumption that many of us have about those Bible verses is that they kind of exist on their own, apart from any context. And so some of our favorite, you know, Bible verses that we throw on bumper stickers uh, have context to them that will either affirm to us that the meaning that we've always believed about that verse is true. Right. But more often than you'd realize, it actually changes mm-hmm. what you actually think. So so I yeah. some of the passages that we'll be doing, Jeremiah twenty nine, eleven, I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper yeah. you, to harm you, plans to give <laughs> you a hope in a future. There's a context to this passage and I'm just gonna tell you that it means something very different than the way you think it means. Uh, there are but other it's on passages. My coffee cup. I know it is. <laughs> but so all of these different John three sixteen, for example, which is a passage that fits within the wider framework of John three, which is to, uh, Jesus and Nicodemus having a conversation. Mm-hmm. That the context determines the meaning of our of the passages, and so instead of just living on platitudes or bumper sticker right. faith, right. we want you to start. We want people to start thinking about. Oh, okay. So there's a context to this, and I, we, I, you know. It'll be interesting because you you'll come this summer and it, you'll you'll be you probably get a little bit irritated if this is the verse that you've your life verse. Your life we're verse, playing yeah. around with it now and saying, well, actually, it doesn't mean 
that I'm just even today I'm I'm doing some some study on Matthew 18, which is a passage I'll be preaching on Matthew 18. Wherever there are two or three gathered, there I am in their midst. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, that does not refer to prayer. What? I know. Podcast. I know. Ezra here thinks it does, and he's wrong. So I'm going to stand in the pulpit and declare it so. <laughs> You're saying that we're going to have to give up some of our posters and our magnets. No, and our I'm, not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying cycle. that you'll, you, you, will look be, at you will be challenged <laughs> to think about the context of the passages that you that you love. Are we just doing passages? Like, are we doing a sermon on, like, the fish being eaten by the... No. <laughs> no. We're not doing the fish being yeah. eaten by the Darwin character. No. Uh, no but, well, that'd be good. <laughs> But yeah, a lot of the stuff is stuff that you put on your bumper sticker, right? I know the plans I have for you or whatever. Yep. Uh, and judge so, not. Judge not, yeah, that's be one of them. Matthew 7, judge not lest ye be judged. So these little pithy phrases that have been picked up by the culture at large, and we're going to give a, a framework for what, what was meant in those contexts. And they'll be, they'll be challenging in the right. sense that, oh, I thought that was about this, and maybe it's not, but... You also might leave and say, "No, they're dead wrong," and here's why. And our hope mm-hmm. is that you'll be like Bereans and you'll yeah. you'll investigate to figure out whether or not the context of that passage actually leads to where we're saying it does. That it might, sounds like a great great series. And it might also be worth mentioning. I don't know how many people that listen to the podcast would be campus jumpers, people who like to go to Abbotsford <laughs> oh, yeah. and Mission. Three. Just, yeah. There's three. Okay, but just just the way that we're structuring the sermon series over summer is that we're not doing the same text at both campuses on the same weekend. Yeah. Every text will be preached in both campuses, but just on a so, different schedule. Mission will usually get it the week, the first week, and then the Abbotsford campus will get the same text. So, same so, speaker? So if you yeah. are yeah. going to Mission one week and you think, oh, I'll go to Abbotsford next week, You're gonna hear the same you'll sermon. likely hear the same sermon. And you go, man, Greg only has yeah. one sermon. And there's a reason <laughs> for that. Before you connect dots, uh, summertime is a very difficult time to find uh, two. It's hard enough to find one person to preach it's very difficult to find two or three to preach all the way through the summer and so this just alleviates some of the challenges on the scheduling for us to do that lots of churches that have multi-site ministry will do that actually normally yeah uh so yeah good well thank you guys all for being here and uh, ezra for being so vocal yeah (laughs) i'm going to give you the last word what could you say to our listeners that will help them have an awesome week Read your Bible and pray. Oh. <laughs> what else do you want me to say? That, that sounds a like bumper a bumper sticker. sticker. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a bumper sticker. What will help you have an awesome week is you pray and ask God to watch over your family and you and read the Bible. You could make it into a bumper sticker. <laughs> there you go. A and good Ezra bumper says. sticker. <laughs> yeah. Ezra, we should do a heavy. series on Ezra Says. That <laughs> would be good. That would actually be a really great series. I'm That's so fun. sweaty. <laughs> Again, if you have any questions, send them in to extra at norfew.org and please listen to the bonus podcast. Absolutely. Which is every two weeks you yeah. do? Uh, yeah. North, <laughs> something like that? The North a little different View. in summer, yeah. The North View. And we trust Jeff that you enjoy. Really it, yeah. it, it is the North View. <laughs> we trust you're enjoying the new sound of this hey, podcast. Hey, how too. many times have you been a guest on the bonus podcast? One time. Hmm. They invited me one How about you, Greg? That's pretty good. I think I'm at like eight. <laughs> At least. Um, wow. Well, you can tell who doesn't have enough to you do. You don't invite me back. Yeah. Me, uh, totally understand that. Thank you for listening. <laughs>